Amen. Thanks, Pastor George. Hey, welcome to FBC. My name is Mike. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it was such a joy to, to sing with you this morning. And, and you may not know this, maybe you saw this at the end of one of the songs, but, but Leah Anderson and Tanya Smith wrote that song that we sang called One Church. Such a beautiful uh, reflection of what, what's talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, which we're actually going to go back to after Easter. Um, and I know they're not, they're not looking for credit or anything like that, uh, but, but they just want to use their gifts to glorify God and for the good of the church. And this is, this is the truth, that, that so many of you do that. You use your gifts that God has given you for the glory of God and the good of the church. And, and honestly, I praise God for, for you who are doing that. Uh, I'm also thankful to God. I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm thankful to God for, for Jake Anderson, for Greg Accurate, for Ben Leiby, and, and their good and faithful service to, to our church under the headship of Christ as elders. Uh, they have served well. And, and so last Sunday, we, we affirmed a new elder terms for Bill Hall, for Paul Vitort, Jason Denani, and Dan Jacobson. Excited, thrilled to serve with those guys. Just an honor uh, to serve with them. Now, I usually try to, to write my sermons. I think I've shared this before, that I try and write my sermons like a couple months ahead of time. I, I learned um, several years back, that just helps uh, help me do the other pastoral duties that I, I'm called to do during the week um, to, to work ahead, because I've, I've had it before where it comes up like on a, on a Friday, I've got a funeral. On Saturday, I've got a funeral. And then on Sunday, you're preaching, and it's just like, okay, how do you do all this? But I wrote this sermon that I'm sharing with you today all the way back in November. And I, I, I pulled it out on Wednesday, and I was reading through it, and I was reminded of how much I needed this. And that happens often as I read through the sermons that I wrote maybe a couple months back. I'm like, God, thank you for, for speaking to me. And, and so I pray, I've prayed for you guys this week, that this, God would use this to encourage you to gain confidence that you'll be cared for well. I was thinking back uh, to the year 2005. This was a significant year in my family's life. This is when I first became a dad. I, I had mixed emotions about the whole parenting thing. I was, I was 25 years old, had been enjoying the first couple years of marriage, just Sarah and me. And on one hand, I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, what I was going to do. You, you know, things like providing financially. I'd never changed a diaper before. Uh, those late night feedings, like, like I just love my sleep. So what, what's going to happen here? But on the other hand, I thought, I can do it. I can do this. J just take it one day at a time. Sarah and I, we're going to team up. I'll go to work during the day, I'll come home, we'll help out together in the evening. I can do it. Well, little, little did I know that, that our child was going to deal with colic. He, he cried almost nonstop for the first five months of his life, literally. Like, like it was so hard for him to even go to sleep. We, we could barely set him down long enough to go to the restroom or make a sandwich, and, and he'd just be screaming and turning purple, crying. Uh, he, he didn't sleep through the night until he was about two years old. So it was, a, it was a long stretch. At the same time, my wife, she was dealing with postpartum depression and struggling to nurse as she had hoped. And needless to say, very, very quickly, I was confronted with this truth. I can't do it. I 
can't do this dab thing by myself. I need help. And so over the years, I, I've, I've learned that these are the moments uh, that, that I move from I can do it to I can't do it. These, it's in these moments that I experience the most anxiety in my life. I, I've seen it many times in my role as a dad. I, 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 I've seen it as I learn how to relate to my wife even after being married for 20 years. I also see it as a pastor. And, and I, start, I start out and I think, I can do it. I can do it. But very quickly, through, through others' expectations, or even my own expectations of myself, I realize I can't do it. And it's in these moments that, that, that I ask the question, how will I adequately care for others? How will I be cared for? These, these are shepherding kind of questions. If you remember last week, we, we learned about uh, elders. One of the roles that elders fill is the role of shepherd, shepherd and overseer. Elders shepherd people. But, but we must also remember that Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd. We, we must never, ever forget that. And so here's where we're going this morning. I think this will be on the screen. Uh, first of all, Jesus is our great shepherd. Secondly, elders lead by shepherding. They model and lead by shepherding. We talked about that last week. And, and, and this is what we'll kind of talk about today. The congregation follows by shepherding. And, and so as we place our trust in Christ and begin to follow him, as we take up our cross, Jesus calls us as e each of his people to do the work of shepherding, that we partake in it too. Shepherding is the work of all of us. Shepherding is about servant leadership. Now we, we could say that shepherding is, is offering gospel-rooted spiritual care, protection, and, and guidance to others. For, first and foremost, Jesus does this for each of us. But, it, but if you're a Christ follower, you're called to follow Jesus in the good work of shepherding too. It's part of imitating Christ. Jesus is the great shepherd. And so each of us as Christ followers, what do we do? We imitate Christ. It, it's not, oh, Jesus, Jesus is preparing a place for us, and now he's given us pastors or priests or bishops, and now they, they take care of us. No, it's, it's all of us together. We all have shepherding relationships. And so if, if God has put you in a marriage relationship, you shepherd your spouse. You're called to. If you're a parent, you shepherd your kids. If you have friends, you shepherd your friends. If, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you shepherd one another in the church. That's who we are now in Jesus Christ. If, you, if you've never thought about this before, you, you might be feeling just a bit overwhelmed right now. If you have thought about this before and you've actually tried to shepherd others in your life, you also might be feeling a bit overwhelmed right now. Why? Because shepherding is really tough. It's hard. It requires, it requires large amounts of humility, self-sacrifice, and, and there's an intentional desire to assume the best of others when we shepherd others. 
So I've got a, I've got a question for you guys today, and I, I do want a show of hands if you're willing. How many of you have raised sheep? Yeah, this is great. There's, there's a few more in here than I thought. This is good. Well, I haven't raised sheep, but I've known people who have raised sheep, and those who I've talked to about raising sheep, they've, they've told me that, that sheep, they bite. And this is true when we shepherd people as well, right? So, someone may, a person walks into the room, and you can just tell that they brought their bad day with them to you, and now it's your bad day. Or, or, or they get frustrated or, or lash out in anger. They, they gossip and slander. They, they cast blame. And guys, here, here's the thing. It's, it's easy to just take that on and then to put that back. I, I've done that in my life too many times. And I, I regret it. But the reality is when that, that kind of stuff happens, this isn't a niceness problem. Like you just need to be more nice. Ultimately, these are symptoms of not being fully rooted in the gospel. Other, other times, shepherds, they encounter people with layers and layers of problems. You, you may have seen this in your life before. Some people, they come with years and years of baggage, whether it's <clears throat> uncertainty or sin or brokenness. Sh- shepherding people through the hard stuff, it can be overwhelming. And that's not just for a pastor. That's for all of us. That's for all of us, the, the spouses, the parents, the friends, the family members, those you, you know in the church. The, the weight of shepherding can be incredibly overwhelming to, to the point that we realize, I can't do this on my own. And although the hardest part of shepherding can be the overwhelming nature of walking someone through the hard things. As Christ followers, God calls each of us to do it. And and here's the good news. He supplies us, God himself supplies us with all that we need, including the joy of shepherding others. There is a joy in that. And and so today, since all who are in Christ are called to shepherd, I want to answer this question. Here's the question. How will we, and that's all of us as Christ followers, be cared for as shepherds? I think if we can understand how we're cared for as shepherds, we can be better shepherds. I I believe that truly. If we can discover confidence that we'll be cared for, we'll all be much better shepherds here at FBC. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. The words will be on the screen. Uh, We're going to look at two verses that will help us together as a church to learn how to be cared for as we do the good and hard work of shepherding one another in Christ. So 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, he cares for you. Very simply, two verses here. How will we be cared for as shepherds? These verses are really key. Look at the final five words of what I read. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He 
God who cares for you. Here's what we've got to understand. You did not conjure up in your imagination this idea of God. You didn't create God. You didn't manufacture him. God, he created you. He designed you. He formed you. He made you. You and all the intricacies of your body, your personality, your your character, they're a product of God. And, And you are wonderful and beautiful and glorious. You're an image bearer of God in Christ Jesus. And God did this because he cares for you. He did it because he cares for you. And not only did God make you, he's supremely capable of providing for you and meeting your every need, the every need that you could possibly have in your life. And on top of that, God God doesn't do it begrudgingly. He wants to. He wants to care for you. The Bible tells us right here, God cares for you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. I want you to listen to Jesus' teaching about how he cares for you. I'm going to jump to Matthew 6. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. It's a longer passage. We'll have it on the screen as well, Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... And all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. (coughs) But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are verses that tell of a caring father's deep and enduring love for his children. God the Father cares so much about his own children, those who trust in him, that he'll do everything in order to provide for them. They won't go without. They'll they'll receive the promises of God. And if you scan through the Bible, there are many great promises of God. They will have enough. But we've got to depend on God. So what does it look like to depend on God? We're going to jump back to 1 Peter 5, 6. Again, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So there's two things that we're going to talk about from these verses today. The first is, because God cares, you must shepherd humbly. 
we've got to shepherd others humbly. The text says again, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. See, our humility is rooted in the fact that, that we as Christ followers are, are under the mighty hand of God. This is all about believing, having confidence in who God is. It, it's living with a, a big, grand view of God, who he is, and what he's capable of doing. It, it's understanding that, that God has infinite capacity to care for you in the ways that you need it. It's about having confidence that God will follow through, even though it may not be in your timing. At its root, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God means to allow yourself to fear God by rightly understanding how mighty he is. It's not like we try harder to be humble. It's, it's looking to God and realizing this is a strong God. It's a reminder that our anxieties often rise with our insecurities, our, our pride, our, our desire for self-sufficiency, like we want to do it ourselves. And so to lose sight of God is to lose humility. We lose humility when we lose sight of God. And so what happens in our lives is anxiety rises when we have a swollen view of self and a diminished view of God. We, we think that we know what we need and we, that we become and when we need it. And, and then we, we may become, it may happen, that we become demanding of those around us in an unhealthy way because we see others as the obstacle to getting what we think we need. And so when anxiety gets the best of us, sometimes, sometimes it comes out as in either depression or in anger. A anxiety can, can be birthed from unmet expectations around the idea of timing. You have a time frame in, in mind about certain expectations that you have, regardless of where those expectations came from. Well, God also has a time frame. And many times, God's time frame is different than ours. The, the phrase in verse 6, at the proper time, proves really significant here. It doesn't tell us when, but it does provide some clarity. Let me ask you, who, who defines at the proper time. Is it me? Is it you? God does. God defines the proper time. My, my proper sense of timing is often not God's perfect sense of timing. I, I remember back 17 years ago, Sarah, Isaac, and I, we were living in my parents' basement. I've shared about this before because I was looking for a job and, and I just couldn't find one that would get us out on our own and be able to provide for us in that way. And so there was a season we were in our parent, my parents' basement, and I questioned God and his timing. It was a hard season. I didn't understand why. God, why wouldn't you just provide it now? Like, don't you want us to, to get out and, and go in a different direction? But what I learned looking back is God had a different plan than mine. And it was good, and not only good, it was way better. And so as Matthew 6.32 says, God knows all your needs. The, the proper time is God's perfect time. It's also the perfect time for, for, for you. And we know this, and we can have confidence in this, because God 
because God cares, we must shepherd humbly. We, we've got to understand that anxiety is a species of fear. It, it's the paralyzing fear of, of what if. It, it's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear that something dreadful might happen. It could happen. It's the uncertainty. It, it's the fear of what we once thought I could do, but now we realize I can't do. That, that's what happens with anxiety. And so you may be in a relationship and you're shepherding someone through a difficult conflict, terminal illness. You, you may be shepherding someone who's got deep, deep wounds from the past, and they're hard. And so whether you're the one who's doing the shepherding or you're the one who's being shepherded, your only sufficient assurance and hope is the very fact that God cares. That's where it's at. Your hope is in Jesus Christ alone. See, the reality of this broken world is that people will go through really hard stuff. And, and honestly, we, we can't change that. Many times we can't fix that even when we want to. But Jesus offers hope because God, he cares. And so our, our confidence is in God and who he is and his promises. God's enough because he cares. And so our shepherding, we have to remember this, our shepherding is not about us. It's easy to take things personally. It's like, why did that happen? But our shepherding isn't about us. And that's why we must shepherd humbly. Now, now, there's another lesson we must learn about how God's care causes us to shepherd well. It's in verse 7, 1 Peter 5. It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So number two, because God cares, you must shepherd by casting your anxieties on Christ. Guys, this is all about dependence. It's about the easy yoke of Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so just like the first day you turn from your sin to trust in Christ, this is a welcome invitation to each and every one of us every day. Jesus invites you and me to come to him with our anxieties and with our burdens. He offers you an easy yoke to carry. You know, anxiety is often the result of taking, taking our problems into our own hands and then realizing we can't do it. So, sometimes we have this mindset that, that we've just got to figure it out ourselves because we don't want to bother anybody else. You ever felt that? We don't, we don't want to bother anybody else, and we don't want to, we don't want to bother God. And so, and so we think, you know what, God's going to be so proud of me when he, he sees that I could figure this out on my own and without anybody's help. I just did it. And God's going to look at me and say, way to go. More likely... We just don't have enough faith to turn to God. Because, because here's the truth. When we fail to cast our anxieties on God, we actually belittle him. 
We belittle God. And what do we do? We continue to choose to carry the heavy burden of those anxieties on our own. And we're more and more weighed down and we're more and more overwhelmed. So the Bible says, cast, throw, throw away. You know, you, you could think of casting like a fishing line. Many, many of you guys I know fish and um, you cast the line out. But maybe a better picture would be casting like, like you have a stone in your hand and you throw it into a lake. You, you wind up and you, and you throw it as hard as you can as far as you can, out into the middle of the lake, and it lands somewhere out there. You don't even quite see where it goes. And the lake is deep, and you're never going to find it again, even if you went out there and looked for it. To cast something is saying, I can't do it. I'm done. I don't want it anymore. I can't do it. I'm done. I don't want it anymore. You know, in the New Testament, there are many stories about people casting their burdens to God. Matthew 15, 30, one example. And great crowds came to him, Jesus, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. This is a simple example of the, the sick being cast at the feet of Jesus. And if you've gone through illness, if you've seen somebody go through even a terminal illness, cancer, they're tired, they're weary, they may be filled, filled with doubt and anxiety, they're, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired, they want a new life, they want a fresh start. It's as if they're saying, I'm, I can't do it, I'm done, I don't want it anymore. And so they go to Jesus. They, they cast their doubts and anxieties to the Lord. Do you hear it? They throw themselves to Jesus. Church, that's what we do. We, we must cast our anxieties to Christ especially as we shepherd others. And, and our shepherding, and as we do that, and as others watch us do that, we point others to do that as well. To cast ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And there might be a time in your life, or a day, or a moment, where you just need to say it aloud. To your burden. I can't do it, I'm done, I don't want it anymore. To say it out loud. To, to cast your burden, to cast your anxiety onto Christ. Be, because God cares and he invites us to cast our anxieties at the cross. And to do it by faith. But sometimes what happens is these, these anxieties, they mean so much to us. We actually do the casting out of frustration or avoidance. And what, here's the deal. When we do it in frustration, we continue to carry the burden. Think about it. Does the burden go away just because you're more frustrated? We, we continue to try to solve the problems on our own 
in that frustration. We continue to try to bear the weight ourselves, and we're just, we're just more lower and lower and lower. And if we, if we cast our anxieties by avoiding, hey, I'm just going to skirt around this, we continue to carry the burden by not dealing with it because it's still there. And in both of these methods of, of casting, frustration and avoidance, what happens is we don't experience any sense of relief or hope or peace. We might, we might get any kind of a sense of relief for just a moment, split second. We might feel better after we kind of let it out in anger. But it's not better. Our hearts are, are still there. And, and ultimately what we need to know, I believe what the text is telling us is this, this is rooted in a lack of faith. That's rooted in a lack of faith. The Bible invites us to cast our anxieties on Christ by faith. Look at Psalm, I'll have this on the screen, Psalm 37.5. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. It doesn't say how he'll act, it doesn't say when he'll act, he doesn't explain all of that, but it says trust him, and he will act. Psalm 55.22, cast your burden on the Lord, and what does it say? He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. He will sustain you. These are promises from God himself. And there are hundreds and hundreds more in the Bible. Open your Bible each day, church. See the promises of God. What God's done, what God is doing, what God will do. You can be sure that when you cast your anxieties on on Christ by faith, he'll bless you in some way. See, confidence in God leads us to cast our anxieties on him. And and when you do it, he'll lead you to lasting hope and joy and peace. (coughs) You see, it's when we trust in God that that our casting actually works. Because it's it's about who we cast our anxieties to. It's about faith. It's it's about being humbly confident that God, he is mighty enough. It's being confident that he cares for you far more than you even care for yourself and far more than you can imagine. It's trusting that God will do what he says he'll do. I want to conclude by giving you a biblical and practical way of combating anxiety as you seek to shepherd others. This is, anxiety is like one of those things that I haven't heard of a single person who doesn't struggle with it in some way. And so look at, uh, we'll have this on the screen as well. Look at Philippians 4, starting verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So church, it's not enough to distract ourselves, to to try to turn our worried minds elsewhere and forget our troubles and just think about something different. It's not enough. We've got to go directly and boldly to God to let our requests be made known to God. And and when you do, God promises that the peace of God 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so whether you're shepherding someone or you're being the one who's, who's being shepherded, go to God and talk to him. Think about it. Your anxieties, they talk to you. They do. They, they tell you to doubt. They tell you to worry and be afraid. They tell you to get angry and frustrated. They tell you to hide in shame. They tell you about all the worst possible outcomes that could happen. And all of a sudden, you start believing them. Church, your anxieties, they, they talk to you. But don't talk back to them. Talk to God. As I shared earlier, I've, I've, I've struggled with anxiety about being a dad, a husband, and even, even a pastor. I tend to have a lot of lofty expectations about for myself, my family, my job, and that doesn't even count the expectations that other people have of me. And although anxieties, they, they still creep in from time to time, I'm learning, I'm learning in the Lord and by, by his enabling to take steps to shepherd humbly and to cast my anxieties upon Christ when they come. Now a key turning point for me happened just a couple of years ago and I, I was just sitting down, I was feeling anxious. I sat down with my Bible, my notepad, a pen, and, and I started to, to write out all the ways that I felt pressure or I thought I could control others as I would shepherd them. Like control might be a strong word, but like I, I felt pressure to like meet expectations and I just realized these are things that are in my life and causing me anxiety. And so at the top of the page, I wrote these words, I can't do it, I'm done, I don't want it anymore. I'm not going to share the whole list with you this morning, it's long, but, but here's a few things that I wrote just to give you a peek. I wrote, I can't live up to other people's expectations. I can't transform other people's lives. I can't cause obedience in my kids. I can't lead other people to trust God. I can't spend time with everyone that I want to. I can't carry other people's burdens for them. I can't love my wife perfectly. I can't raise my kids to be blameless. I can't make wise and right decisions every single time. Therefore, I must shepherd humbly, casting my anxieties on Christ. To this day, I, I talk to God about this list. I take it to him. And I trust he's going to be my peace. And so church, what, what's on your I can't do list? Talk to God about it. If you need to make a list, get out a piece of paper and at the top write, I can't do it. I'm done. I don't want it anymore. Make, make your, your list. Talk to God about it. And, and this idea, just so you don't misunderstand, it's not about, about avoiding or not caring about those things on your list. These are, these are good things, right? They're things that maybe even God is, is calling us to care for in some fashion, in some way. But it's about faithfulness to those things while realizing that you can't do it alone. I want you to remember Jesus in the garden. 
He knew that the cross was coming. He, he knew the burden he'd bear. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering. And so what did he do? Jesus got in the flesh and prayed. He prayed. As a mere man, he prayed in the garden that the burden would be removed, that, that he would be strengthened. As God in human flesh, he sufficiently carried your anxieties to the cross so that you don't have to carry them anymore. And so I believe today Jesus says, I did it. I did it for you. It's done. In fact, he did it because he cares. Church, our incompleteness is complete in Christ. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we ask that you would cause us to take an honest look at our lives. Help us see clearly that the things we think we can handle on our own, we just can't. We were created by you to be fully dependent on you. And so increase our rootedness in the gospel as the source of our servant leadership in your kingdom. May, may we be humbly honest with you and with one another. Supply us with a heart posture of grace and honor toward others because that's who you are to us. Spirit, enable us to repent and forgive as a way of life. And may our trust of one another be an outflow of our faith in you, almighty God. We believe this is the people you will form us to be, to become, because the roots of the gospel are in our lives. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If, uh, if you're one of the communion servers this morning, please come on up. Why in the world would God care for you? Why in the world? It's not because you deserve it, but because Christ bought it. He bought your deserving, your meriting. And that's what this table is about, is remembering and proclaiming to our own hearts and to each other what Christ did for us, why we can cast our anxieties on him, why he would care for us. And so would you listen as I read this familiar if you've been here before, this familiar passage from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Paul's writing here. He says that, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Corinthians, and now delivering to us who are reading this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Think cross. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim his Lord's, the Lord's death until he comes. Our time at this table is about remembering and proclaiming three things. Our sins, 
God's mercy in his adopting us, his children. So your sins, you and I were not born innocent. Maybe your mama thought you were, but she quickly realized you weren't. Um, and we showed our sins from an early age. We violated God's law in our hearts, or in our thoughts, and in our actions. We, you and I, are not worthy of God's kindness. What are we worthy of? His judgment for our sins. So remember your sins. Remember and proclaim to your heart your sins. And secondly, remember and proclaim God's mercy. Christ came to earth, lived a sinless life, and died for sinners like you and me. He came not to give us what we deserve, judgment, but Christ came to give us the most lavish gift on the planet, God's forgiveness of our sins. There will come a day when all will recognize that is the most lavish gift on the planet. You will look back at all the other treasures that you had on in this life, and you will say, oh, this is the one that surpasses all. So remember and proclaim your sins, God's mercy, and last, remember and proclaim your adoption. The result of God's mercy is that God has now adopted you into his family. You, once his enemy, because of your rebellion against him. But now, his son or his daughter in Christ Jesus. This Lord's table is not for all all people. It's for only for those who are right now presently repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, for their salvation. The scriptures actually warn in the passage right after what I just read, they warn against eating and drinking these elements unworthily. They teach that those who eat and drink unworthily eat and drink judgment upon themselves. So it's my loving duty then to ask you to sincerely examine yourself. Ask yourself if you have, right now, secret, unrepentant sin. Ask yourself if you are truly trusting in Christ alone for your acceptance before God. If you're not repenting right now and not trusting Christ alone, then when this bread and cup come to you, let them pass. That would be the wisest thing to do. But if you are repenting and you are trusting Christ, then please eat happily with us. This supper not only reminds us of Christ's work for us individually, that's how I've been talking to you mostly, but 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says that because there is one bread, we who are one body... We, I'm sorry, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Those of us who are united in Christ are united to each other. And this table is supposed to be a reminder, is intended by God to be a reminder of that for us. In just a moment, the elements will come to you, they'll be passed to you. Think during that time, what should you do? Waiting, waiting. Think about your life before God and ask God to help you to see and then confess your sins before him. And then 
to thank him for his mercy in Christ. When the elements come to you, don't take them right away. Just hold them, and then I'll give you instruction, and we'll all take together.
please separate the cups. We'll start with the bread in that cup. Listen, as I read 1 Peter 2.24 about the cup, about Christ's body, it says, He himself bore our sins where? In his body on the tree. Tree is a symbolism for the, for the cross, the wooden cross. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that for a purpose, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to give his body on the cross to pay the penalty we owe for our sins. Our sins are great, but your mercy is greater. We praise you for your mercy. Amen. Please eat and worship. Let's focus on the cup of grape juice. It represents Christ's blood shed for us. Listen as I read Ephesians 1.7. In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that you ransomed us, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with, the, but with the precious blood of Christ Jesus, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. And so with joy, we worship your lamb and receive your mercy. Amen. Please drink with me. And now if you would go ahead and proclaim your worship aloud by saying these words with me. Alleluia, what a savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Would you stand with me as we proclaim in song that Christ is our hope and that we can do nothing on our own, and so we look to him.
church in addition to our, our regular giving and offering today we have got a box up here for the grace fund that helps those in our community who have needs and we have an opportunity to shepherd them um, through those things a little bit um, and so pray uh, but also if you're able and God leads you to give uh, as you go this week what a joy that song was to sing to, together um, may the God of hope may he fill you may he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life today, tomorrow, and all the days of your life, this life and the life that is to come. Amen.